podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. The boys are back, and this has been a day that has been a long time coming because we've had this show for over four years. We've had just about every single K-State football, basketball media personality in the world. We've tried long, we've tried hard to get someone from the Blue Check National College Football Sports World on, and I think we have one of the finest. You've heard him in Kansas City. You maybe have heard him on his own college football podcast show, the College Football Survivor Show. He works at CBS Sports, and hey, recently he's become a fan favorite of K-State's. It is Shehan Jairaja. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you. We're recording this on Friday the 24th. We're publishing it on the 29th, so it's a little bit in advance. So in case something crazy pops off in the college football world and we don't talk about it, I want our fans to know when we recorded this, because again, in 2022, anything happens in college sports. How are you doing on this Friday and how are you getting along this long college football offseason? Hey, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. You know, it's it's definitely kind of a quiet month for us over at CBS. We have plenty going on. We, we do content, of course, all year round. But June is like kind of a nice opportunity to sit down and try to figure out what the heck just happened during that transfer portal worlds. Well, yeah, and I, I didn't even have this on here, but, but I, I want to get back to transfer portal real quick since you brought it up. It's almost created, at least from my uh, you know, as a fan, especially as K-State, there's like three or four recruiting kind of cycles. You have your traditional kind of, okay, summer to December high school recruiting. And then from December to like February, you get some late high school. And it's like, the, hey, that first round of transfer portal. Then there's the post-spring transfer portal. And then there's like, okay, is anyone going to like surprise show up on campus? How has that changed the way you guys and basically the entire national college football world covered recruiting and team building because again it, it's nothing like we've ever seen before yeah well, i'll tell you what uh this was a good year to leave my old job at dave campbell's texas football because uh you know we put together a magazine every year uh when i was over there and having to update as consistently as uh, as things have happened when you have a print magazine that goes to print at the end of may it's crazy you know i think that for us you kind of know that there are going to be waves of it, right? There's going to be a wave of people leaving right after the season. There's going to be a wave of people coming right during that time period to be there in time for spring camp. There's going to be a wave right after spring camp where, where maybe you see uh, some guys who lost starting jobs or some guys who didn't get the opportunity that they wanted to go. Um, but really, I mean, it, it is so much about just being aware all the time of keeping your eye on things, of trying to keep in touch with people, uh, trying to make sure that you're reading everything that comes across because it is, it, it's unique. I mean, the funny thing about it and, and not to get too existential about the world of journalism and all that stuff, but Twitter has made things crazy. You know, there used to be a time when 
you'd hear something and maybe a day later you could get like a compilation and here's the players who are leaving. Here's the place. It's going to be reported in the paper. It's going to be whatever, right? Now it's like every 30 minutes, basically, there's somebody new coming across your Twitter timeline, uh, making a decision. So it's, it's definitely unique. I, I feel like as I've gone on more podcasts and more radio shows, I'm trying to be like, this kid's back, right? This kid plays for this team, right? And so if I say something really dumb during this Big 12 show uh, or this K-State show, just know I'm trying my best. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, I tried to do my, obviously I, I follow the Big 12 uh, as much as anybody else. And I follow K-State with the, how much optimism I have as, uh, for them as much as anybody else. But I will say, you guys as K-State fans probably know your roster a little better than I do. Uh, but what I think that I hope that I can bring is I can contextualize what you guys have got. For sure. I, I think it's easy for K-State fans. We, we've had this conversation. We have a live show every Wednesday on ColorCast, and I'll just kind of get that plug in there. Boneheads, you guys are listening to this probably unless something changes on Wednesday. So 7 p.m., Download the ColorCast app. Join me to talk about it. We're going to talk about maybe some of the stuff we hear, but we get in our own bubble. We think, oh, man, every year, you know, we it could be the year, at least since Chris Kleiman came on board. Hey, what, what can we do? Can we get to eight wins, nine wins, et cetera? So it's, it's always good and maybe refreshing to hear someone else's take. But again, it, it's like the national media. And I think maybe we have Vegas to think about this. Is like, oh, man, K-State's the dark horse. But before we get to that, I do want to touch on something that I think CBS – does great and you say oh you know it's kind of a quiet time but I always kind of signal the CBS kind of compilation of the power ranking of all the head coaches in the power five is the kickoff to the ramp up of college football so you came over to CBS were you there did you get a ballot in on this yes I was okay. part of it so Chris Kleiman was number 31 is that above or beyond where you had him and what do you think his ceiling is when you compare him to rest of the coaches in the college football world? Yeah, I'd need to pull my about to be 100% sure, but it was about where I had him. He was definitely in the low 30s for me. Uh, and I think that that's about right. You know, I think that Chris Kleiman over his time at Kansas State has proven that he knows how to build a team. He knows how to develop at a really high level. Obviously, he knows how to find guys who maybe other people have overlooked. Uh, it's funny. Obviously, it's in a very different style and way, but he has a lot of the characteristics that I think we loved about Bill Snyder. And, um, and so for me, I think that he absolutely can push into that top 25 conversation. We're kind of waiting for him to have that breakout year, right? The year that maybe they go to the Big 12 title game or compete for it, you know, push for 10 wins. Uh, but to have consistency the way that he has during his time at Kansas State, which, which, by the way, with all the quarterback injuries that he's dealt with as well, I think it says a lot about what he is. And so I don't think it's ridiculous at all to, to think that very soon he could be talked about in the way that we talk about a Matt Campbell or be talked about in the way that we talk about, uh, you know, that that top group of Big 12 coaches. I think he's right on the edge of it, just waiting for uh, kind of that breakout season. So I'm glad you brought up Matt Campbell because, uh, again, maybe I need more to get out of my own little bubble. K-State fans, uh, and I think it's actually started to spill over onto the football field, but I think the greatest rivalry on college football internet is Iowa State fans and K-State fans. So obviously I'm biased when I say this, but I look at where Matt Campbell landed with you guys, which I, I think he's top 15. I think last year he might have even been in the top 10. Uh, so ground me, kind of kind of give me a reality check. I have a hard time looking at what he's done. And again, you look at the history of Iowa State getting those back-to-back eight-win seasons, but I look at, you know, his 
you know, calling card. It, it happened in a COVID season. You know, yes, he got the Fiesta Bowl, but Oregon played what three games that entire year, and then having all that back, they only win six or seven games. How is Matt Campbell still up in the top fifteen after the season they had last year? I mean, I think a big part of it is, <laughs> to to be frank our opinion of Iowa state as a program, right? I mean, you look at the history of Iowa state, uh, you know, there's been one other nine win season in the history of Iowa state. And that happened back in 2000. That was, I believe the Seneca Wallace years. Uh, and, and actually there was one in 1906. So, you know, I think we can, oh, pass that yeah, one. See, I, I know exactly. <laughs> got to make again, sure include. I'm almost thinking you're like shadow following <laughs> K state Twitter, because again, you're hitting on a lot of these uh, amazing yeah. talking points. That I like to pr- pr- uh, poke and prod my Iowa state fr- friends with. Totally. And so, I mean, you know, obviously he has two eight win seasons. The last coach to have two eight win seasons at Iowa state was Earl Bruce, who later became the Ohio state coach. Right. So, I think that when we talk about this, we are really contextualizing it in the context of this has historically been one of the weaker programs in all of college football, right? And the consistency that he's had, I mean, you know, because because I do think that there's a way to make a comparison to Kleiman, right? And what he's done over the past couple of years. But I, I think to win seven or more games, and last year was a disappointment. There's no doubt about it, right? They should have won more than what they won. But to, to have the consistency winning seven plus games for five years in a row, that, that's really never happened at Iowa State. He did have sort of that breakout season where they do win the Fiesta Bowl. You mentioned it's a COVID year, but it counts. Uh, and, and they do earn not, a trip. Not to the in my team. circles. That, that COVID year, I don't even, fair, in case fair. they even play football that year, I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, totally fair, totally fair. From my perspective, it counts. Uh, you know, they finish they finished AP top 10. Um, So they kind of have that year, right? And so I compare that to Chris Kleiman. I think it's a good comparison. Uh, I think two things working against Chris Kleiman is again, kind of like I talked about, he hasn't had the breakout year. I think if he has a year like what Matt Campbell had in 2020, then he gets into that top 20 conversation. Uh, And the other part about it too, is that he took over, I think, a program in a much better place than what Matt Campbell took over, right? I mean, it's easy to forget at this point, you know, Paul Rhodes had a 5-19 and 19 record in his last two seasons. Matt Campbell had them at 3-9 and nine his first year, and then they've been eight or seven ever since. And so I think that, uh, that you look at sort of the context that they take over, and in my opinion, Chris Klein has kind of continued what Bill Snyder had built um, in his own way. It's not, you know, he's not coattail riding or anything like that but but he's kind of continued something that was working pretty well whereas I think that Matt Campbell kind of had to create something from nothing uh and again for from my perspective I think that Kansas State is a program with a higher upside right now than Iowa State is just because of some of the advantages that they have uh and so I think that I'm waiting for Chris Kleiman to come up there and match what Matt Campbell has done sort of year in year out and, and again with the longevity that I think at this point Matt Campbell has See, I think that's the the most perfect way someone could put any of that for me to be like, all right, you know, I, I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave I know it it's not there. fun. You got to love your guy. You got to oh. got to support your guy. And I will never, never doubt anybody for that. Oh, no, for sure. For, and, and I think that is a good defense of Matt Campbell, as much fun as I want to poke at him. I also think he's a liar. I think he 100% has an agent and he just likes to lie to people about <laughs> that. Uh, but we'll move on. I, I want to talk about K-State. But before we do, because kind of what you know, started this was you predicting the entire big 12 season in the context of overs and unders wins. But before we talk about that, you know, almost everyone who has done a show, a podcast, radio hit article about overs and unders, almost all of them are picking K-State to go over. 
right when it started hitting offshore books, you saw it almost at five and five and a half. It's kind of normalized around that six and a half uh, win mark uh, with juice actually, you know, favoring the under. So it's, it's maybe going to be at seven before it kicks off. But why do you think it opened up so low and even now is sitting at that six and a half? Well, just about everyone is saying, hey, ceiling, you know, could be Big 12 championship. The floor is seven wins, but it's still settling in at that six and a half mark. Yeah, to, to be frank, I don't know what people are looking at, right? I mean, obviously, these lines are are based on betting trends, they're based on numbers, they're based on projections. Uh, and look, when you look at sort of analytic systems, they don't love K-State as much as, as other sort of more uh, subjective metrics do, right? Because uh, you're looking at a team that maximizes its recruiting, right? It doesn't recruit sort of at that top 30, 40 level, uh, but it, they get kids who fit what they do. And I think that that's been true of uh, Kansas State for a long time. Um, you know, but even, even with that context for me, it's, it's a little surprising, right? I, I get it. There's a path to K-State being in the six win range, but it's like a lot would have to go wrong to really, I, I can't envision a world where K-State's fighting for, for uh, you know, five and seven, right? Like, I mean, that, that just... They've got Missouri in the non-conference. I think that'll be a pretty important game to just kind of set the tone for the season. Uh, obviously, the Big 12, I think, is going to be very close and competitive this year, but maybe it's that other people are higher on West Virginia than I am. Maybe it's people are higher on, you know, Texas Tech than I am. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, for me, I see a group at the top, and I think that my over-under picks kind of showed this, there could be up to five teams, I think, in that top group competing for those two spots in the Big 12 title game. And I think that Kansas State is one of the teams that could break into that group. Now, do I have them as the favorite? No. Do I, do I have them as a favorite to make the Big 12 title game? Not necessarily. But I do think they'll be right there. And so from my perspective, I... I mean, I, I, they must be looking at trends. I, I have no idea what exactly you could be looking at to start in the five to five and a half range. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up Missouri because, again, you know, the KU-Missouri rivalry is much more well-known nationally. But if you look back to especially those, you know, mid to late 90s, you know, K-State teams, and even when Gary Pinkle was there, Bill Snyder versus Missouri, there's a lot of bad blood and there is a rivalry there. What should K-State fans expect from them? And then, again, from my perspective, they're starting to bump up against Eli Drinkwitz on the recruiting trail now. K-State's kind of elevating themselves. They picked up a recruiting win over them with four-star running back Dylan Edwards just yesterday. I think this is going to be a massive game, not only for the trajectory of the two programs, but you know, for K-State fans like me who live in Kansas City. So uh, what should K-State fans expect from that week two matchup with the Tigers? Yeah, I would feel a lot better about Missouri if they had gotten a quarterback that I feel good about, right? I mean, they lost Connor Bazelak to the transfer portal. He's at Indiana now. They didn't really replace him with uh, anybody that you feel amazing about. They added Jack Abraham from uh, from Mississippi State, formerly of Southern Miss. And, and he's like a good Conference USA player, but I don't know if that means he's going to be a good Power 5 player. And so I think that this team is probably a year away from 
that recruiting really paying off in a big way. Uh, and we haven't seen that level of development quite as yet uh, under Eli Drinkwitz, just because, I mean, he's, he's relatively new, to, to be fair to him. But we haven't seen sort of the long-term development, the long-term culture, the long-term scheme, the long-term uh, vision for the program that I think that we have to this point with Kansas State. So when I look at that game, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for Kansas State to play an SEC opponent, play a team that does recruit better than them, of course. Um, but, you know, try to prove that this is a place where you can go to be successful. And uh, we'll, we'll talk plenty about uh, these guys uh, when we get a little bit more into the Kansas state section, but I mean, Kansas state has the two best players on the field, in my opinion. And so when you go into a game that way, uh, especially when you're built as consistently as Kansas state is, and, and by the way, with, I think some of the upside that Adrian Martinez provides, I, I think that Kansas state should win this game comfortably. And uh, now it's football, right? Anything can happen, you know, but, but I think that, uh, I, I think that Kansas state should be favored in this game. For sure. So let's talk about K-State. You had them winning nine games. And before I uh, talk about maybe one of those specific losses, I'm sure you can figure out which one I, I, uh, I want to heckle you a little bit about, but what, what is it about this team that you have them winning nine games? You, you brought up the upside with Adrian Martinez, uh, a lot of folks who do kind of point to why it maybe won't be as good a season say they have to go on the road five times in the Big 12 with the unbalanced schedule round robin that we have for only one more year. I understand that. But what is it from your point of view that's like, yes, I, I see nine wins in Manhattan, Kansas? Well, I think to start off, you can make a very real argument that Kansas State has both the best offensive player in the Big 12 and the best defensive player in the Big 12. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn is a proven commodity. I, I made this comparison on another podcast. I, I, I don't know how big of a basketball fan you are, but back in 2014, I, I think it was like Steph Curry had this great series against the San Antonio Spurs where he went off in all these third quarters. And I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, that's cool. But like where does he go from here? He'd have to do that like all the time. And that's basically what Deuce Vaughn did. He had all these explosive plays as a freshman. And then that was just normal as a sophomore. He did it every down, every play, every game. And uh, so, so I think that he heads into 2022 as to me, the, the preseason big 12 offensive player of the year. I, you know, we're, we're submitting our ballots right now for it at media days. Uh, he's, he's number one on my list. And I think that just what he adds to this offense is so unique. And, and then defensively, obviously, Felix Anaduke Ozoma has as many sacks as any Power 5 returning player not named Will Anderson in college football. So you're talking about a difference maker at the two of the most key positions on each side of the ball. And I really like the addition of Adrian Martinez. I, I think that... Skylar Thompson was as consistent a quarterback as you could find, right? I mean, he was so good at the intermediate routes. But what Adrian Martinez, I think, gives you at his best is he gives that playmaking threat, right? That was not really something that we saw from the quarterback position last year at Kansas State. Uh, and, and I like the way that Chris Kleiman structures his offenses. So I don't think it's going to be a lot of freelancing. I don't think it's going to be a lot of Adrian Martinez running around and trying to come up with something. I think that this is as structured a situation as he's ever had, uh, obviously after multiple years at Nebraska. So I, I just think that the pieces line up really well, uh, you know, an experienced offensive line. I think some really nice pieces on defense. It just feels like a team that in a big 12 where th that might be defined in some ways uh, by teams, maybe being inconsistent. I think that Kansas state has the perfect combination of talent experience and upside that I, I really like it in a big 12. That should be really balanced. 
I'm glad that you you're putting the respect on Deuce Vaughn and Felix's name. And you're also an All-American voter. So I, I have to ask you, I think those two definitely, but you know, I, I'm a big guy. I'm also loving Cooper Beebe. I think boundary corners, there could be some potential. Uh, Malik Knowles in the return game, you know, when's the last time or has there been a time since you've really been dialed in on the Big 12 in Kansas State that they had this many guys who have the potential to be, you know, first team all conference, possibly getting in on some of these all-American teams at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you have to think back to like the Tyler Lockett days, right? Like, I think that that's really when you're talking about having these special playmakers. I'm trying to think uh, Wyatt Hubert was another guy who comes to mind. Uh, you know, they, they've done a good job, especially uh, under Snyder, of course, of developing those edge players on defense and uh, just the, the really kind of hard nosed workaday type guys. And uh, it, which I think that Felix is a little more than that, probably. But, um, you know, and then offensively, of course, I've done a great job at receiver. Uh, Byron Pringle, another name that comes to mind. And, and so I think that they've done a good job, but these are these guys are different. right? Like these guys are like legitimate, like conference player of the year type contenders. And, and it's been a while, I think, since we've seen that, um, you know, and then you mix it with, like you mentioned, uh, Cooper Beebe definitely going to be a preseason all big 12 pick, in my opinion. Uh, there's just a lot of guys there who I think could step up. And, and when I look at, uh, when I look at sort of the lower recruiting tier teams, right in the big 12, the mid to lower type teams, what I really look for is I look for a couple of stars and then some good experience around them. And so you just, you know, you have these guys who maybe can, can be difference makers, and then you're not going to make mistakes elsewhere. And I think that Kansas State has a lot of that to be excited about. Uh, now, again, at the same time, like, uh, like that can go one of two ways, right? I mean, I think that we saw that similarly go a different way with Iowa State last year, right? We kind of expected that to be the model for them. But I think that uh, that Kansas State is built really well. This, I think, is kind of a culmination team for them in some ways. And, and so I do think that we're going to get to see the higher end of this. Yeah, and I think that's why K-State fans, at least, you know, at this week is so are so excited. They, they've seen this staff and what they can do development-wise. And now, at least right now, and again, they have to get a couple of these recruitments over the finish line. But you look at Dylan Edwards, you look at Avery Johnson, you look at some of these four-star borderline blue chip guys that they're in on K-State fans are starting to think okay you know could, could this be even better than what we imagined with Chris Kleiman if he can start getting you know three to four four-star type guys every single season and match that with the development you know could we see a world where K-State is one of those year in year out contenders especially in the new look big 12 here and you know if people are to believe be believed 2025 or maybe earlier yeah, I mean, I, th I think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that they could break into that group. And and I love, uh, look, I'm a national writer, but I went to a Big 12 school. I've been around the Big 12 forever. Like the Big 12 is always going to hold a special place in my heart. And so I love the way that this new conference looks, right? Like, I, I just think that it's going to be such a competitive league. And, and you mentioned it right there. I mean, with Texas and Oklahoma gone, I think that there's an opportunity for a couple of programs to step up and, and define themselves as something new. And, um, you know, certainly I think you have to look at Baylor, Cincinnati, Houston, uh, you know, UCF maybe. But I think that Kansas State has arguably over the past decade been as consistent a program as there's been in the Big 12. And, um, 
look, it doesn't hurt that uh, that Chris Kleiman has put multiple quarterbacks into the NFL. I, I think that Adrian Martinez will probably be a quarterback who's picked in the NFL draft next year and will stick on a roster. And, and like you said, they they have other guys coming along. Uh, the, the quarterback, the 23 quarterback, like you mentioned, remind me his name again. Yeah, Avery Johnson out of Mays, yeah, Kansas. Avery jo- he, was at, he was at Derby yes. when Dylan yes. Edwards, his childhood friend, four-star running back announced. So all the tea leaves are, are starting to say, <laughs> you know, Avery Johnson. So if, if you're telling a bunch of, you know, yeah. bloodthirsty K-State fans on Twitter right. that we're going to beat Oklahoma and Nebraska for a running back and Oregon yeah. and Washington for a quarterback – we might get a little too big for our britches at least for a week. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and from what I've read, from what I've heard, like K-State's supposed to be in a really good position with him and he's a national top 250 recruit, right? So if you're uh, at elite 11 this weekend. Yeah. So if they're in that conversation, right, it's really to me, you know, like I kind of mentioned, it's about having stars at a couple positions. And I think with the way that Chris Kleiman organizes his team, obviously quarterback you know, for anybody is going to be an important position. Um, I, I think running back with the way that they've used Deuce Vaughn will be a great position for them. And, and if you're uh, if you're a versatile running back, why wouldn't you want to play on this offense after watching Deuce Vaughn? Uh, and then defensively, if they can get a couple of big maulers up front, right? I think that's kind of the final piece. But otherwise, yeah, you know, they look for traits when they recruit to Kansas State. They look for fast guys outside. They look for physical guys inside. They look for guys who uh, who have great technique when you're talking about interior linemen, right? So I, I think that they've done such a good job of identifying what fits them best. Uh, if they can make that step, and and look. K-State's not going to put together top 10 classes, but they don't need to. They, they need to only be in that 30 range, right? If they're in that 30 range, that's a that's a huge jump from where they've been historically. And I think that that does put them in the conversation too uh, with the way that they develop and the way that they identify be in the Big 12 title race. And, and I think we all expect the, uh, the, the playoff to move to a 12-team model at some point. They're going to be competing with, I think, a lot of other really good teams in the Big 12 uh, for a chance to get into the playoff a lot of years. I love it. That's why I like to hear it. And that's why I think, again, if you, if you don't watch yourourself, you're going to become K-State fans' favorite national football guy. So, well, uh, I, y- I, y'all have to perform, man. Y'all have to perform this year. That, I'm going to look real dumb. That is true. That is true. You're probably going to be looking at us and like, all right, you know, I went out on a limb a little bit. You guys better come through for me because, uh, you know, th- there's some fun uh, receipts from the past uh, past summer that I like to bring up from national folks talking about Iowa State. Um, and they, you know, I hope we don't have to do that. To, I hope Iowa State fans aren't doing that to you. Uh, I, I want to talk about the article. You, you picked every game. Uh, the love it side of things, you have us beating Oklahoma for the third time in four years. I almost like jumped out of my roof, off my roof when I saw you had us losing Farmageddon and Ames. You know, that's truly the whole, you know, the, the highs and lows of college football when I was reading through that. First, uh, let's talk about the Oklahoma one. At least K-State fans are saying, hey, why not? First-year coach, first Big 12 game, they're gettable. What do you think Oklahoma is going to look like this year, and what will Brent Venables do in year one there? There's a lot of reasons to to be excited about Oklahoma, I think, but when I look at Oklahoma and the staff they brought in and the system they want to run, uh, I really see a situation that might take more than one year, right? Because I think that talent has not been the issue from a defensive perspective at Oklahoma, right? I mean, they had four guys, I believe, picked in the first couple rounds of the draft this past year. Uh, They've had great linemen, they've had great linebackers, and and they've had guys who have contributed in the NFL already. But I think that it is somewhat of a cultural thing, right? I mean, teams take to uh, tend to take on the personality of their head coach. And I think that 
for Lincoln Riley, you know, he was such an offensive guy. He was so focused on offense. I think sometimes that can have a negative impact on the defense. It's something I'm actually very curious about with Ryan Day at Ohio State as well, but that's that's beside the point. I, I think that Brent Venables coming in, the whole roster is just going to look a little bit more big and physical. Now, that's not something that happens, I don't think, in a three-month offseason, right? I, I think that's something that maybe takes a little while. It takes finding the right leaders. It takes doing things the right way for a little while. And so for Kansas State, like you mentioned, to get them early in the year, I think it's huge uh, because I think that there's such a zag versus what the rest of the Big 12 maybe uh, expects to do, right? Like, I mean, I'm very curious too. One thing that we saw with uh, with Dave Aranda when he came into the league was he kind of expected to be defending something that he wasn't prepared for. Pete Kwiatkowski, kind of the same way at Texas. He was built to stop these air raid, fast-paced offenses. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, teams want to bash us with their tight ends. What is this? And so- I think that it might take a minute for Oklahoma to adjust to what this new Big 12 is. Uh, obviously, I think Venables will get there. I have no doubts about that. But uh, but early on, I mean, they're going to be looking for consistency at wide receiver. They're going to be looking for consistency on the offensive line. They're going to be trying to find their playmakers on defense. I, I don't think this is a finished product by any means. And so, look, when we go into 2024, I think that, uh, or 2023 as well, like I think that Oklahoma is going to be in good shape. But I think next year could be a little bit of a, of a confusing time as Oklahoma just tries to find its identity as a new program. I'll tell you what, for K-State fans, the history of Brent Venables, a player there, hot shot young assistant, only to leave in between, you know, the end of the 98 season, the conference championship game, uh, the perceived spurning of him not coming home after, I think, three coaching searches. Uh, where, where, you know, he was at the top of the list. I think if K-State fans could grab one game, the Oklahoma one would be right near the top. The one that might be at the top for me, because again, I run my mouth on Twitter. So I have a lot of, you know, you know, Twitter checks to cash is that Iowa State game. And you have us losing in Ames and it broke my heart. Um, again, you even have them going under six and a half wins. So I, that, that, that was a devastating one for me. I've seen K-State play in Ames a handful of times. It's, it's gotten progressively harder to play there. What is it about that matchup where you're thinking, all right, you know, Matt Campbell might have, you know, an ace up his sleeve in this game? Well, I, I think a couple of things, right? First of all, when you put together sort of a list like this, uh, it's tough, especially because the Big 12 is so hard because you kind of have to almost do the math of like, okay, where do I kind of have teams? Because I don't expect Iowa State to miss a bowl game, right? I, I think that they're too well coached at this point. I, I think that join the dark side. Join the dark side. <laughs> expect them to miss a bowl game. <laughs> I, I can't get there. I think that they've built up a, a great amount of depth. I like Hunter Deckers a whole lot at quarterback. I think that he's going to have some upside, even if it takes some time. And, and Gyro Brock should be pretty solid at running back too. But so, so it really is, you know, a big part of it is, finding six right but the other thing that I'll say too is that I think that the league is just so close this year that it's hard not to to lose a dumb one in some ways right and Matt Campbell like uh, like you've kind of talked about that's that's been a tough place to play for everybody it's gotten progressively tougher as as uh, Iowa State fans finally have something to root for after <laughs> a very long time but um and as you know, much I, as I like to poke them sorry for cutting you off I yeah, do have yeah. to give them some credit even though it wasn't always, you know, a 100% packed house, it was never a barren wasteland like it no. is in Lawrence, even when they were that bad. 
So I, I do have to give them a little, throw a little bit of a rose their way as I was throwing tomatoes the rest of the show. <laughs> hey, uh, find you a, find you a girl who loves you like Iowa State fans love Iowa State. So, but uh, I think that, I, I think that it's always tough, right? I mean, going on the road, I think there's also, it's just so many games in a row, right? That Kansas State has to take care of business. I have them, uh, you know, we might get to in a second. I have them losing at Baylor. I have them losing to Oklahoma State, who I think is going to be pretty good. But again, I mean, I have them beating Oklahoma too. And so, you know, you kind of look at the context of the schedule. They get Tech the week before at Iowa State at TCU versus Oklahoma State. And the Tech game is after Oklahoma too. So it's kind of right in the middle of this tough stretch. And so, you almost kind of feel like you're finding a rhythm. You're, you're starting to get things under control. I just think that they're probably going to lose one of those games, either versus tech at Iowa state at TCU, just because I think that the road is just very difficult. Uh, maybe TCU is more of the look ahead game, uh, you know, before they go and play Oklahoma state, Texas at Baylor in the three weeks after that. Uh, but, but I think that it's going to be probably actually probably one of those two games, one of those games, either Iowa state or TCU uh, is probably kind of the letdown spot, which is so much being asked of them week after week for five weeks in a row. Yeah, you, you reference it. And again, if the buildup to the Oklahoma State and Baylor game is you only have that one loss, you're, you're sitting there thinking, all right, Arlington dreams are still there. You do right. have Oklahoma State and Baylor as your two teams going to Arlington. I gun to my head, I'm probably agreeing with those, which again, I think Baylor opened up, you know, in that six win range. I think with Vegas, I think they raised up a little bit. So another kind of head scratcher there. Uh, what is it about those two teams that you do at least tentatively here in June have them being the two teams, uh, a rematch uh, down in Arlington? Well, I think that for Baylor, uh, the, the case is obvious. I think it's their trenches, right? I, I mean, they have a lot to replace elsewhere, but their trenches will be the best in the league on both sides. Uh, best offensive line in the league, by far, in my opinion, four offensive linemen back. And, and the fifth guy who was gone was kind of a part-time starter for them. And defensively, adding to uh, Tulsa transfer Jackson player on the interior defensive line alongside Siaki Ika, who might be the best interior defensive lineman in the league. It, that's crazy. That, you know, that's crazy stuff. And they have enough depth outside that I think that they're going to feel really good. And so the question becomes, do you like enough what they have at receiver and cornerback? They're young, but I think they're very talented. And if Blake Shapin can give them a little bit more upside in the passing game, I, I think that uh, I think that they have a chance to be as good as they were last year, although probably it's going to look a little bit different. And, and for Oklahoma State, you know, Oklahoma State's interesting to me. I, I love a lot about them and I hate a lot about them. Uh, I, I think that Colin Oliver if, if it's not Felix who's the best defense player in the league, it might be uh, Colin Oliver at defensive end at Oklahoma State. I love watching him play. Uh, they're a little bit weaker behind that just because of some graduations and transfers. But they, I think that the big thing for them is they should be better offensively. Spencer Sanders back for another year. Hopefully he can kind of deal with some of his inconsistency. Uh, they have, I think, more receivers that you feel good about than maybe you did last year just with the amount of depth that they were able to develop. So I think that the other thing, too, is that Mike Gundy, I think, uh, is arguably right now the best coach in the league. There, there's a case for three or four guys, probably. But what he's done consistently, I think, stands apart. And, and again, they're the two that I picked to, to finish with two losses and make the Big 12 title game. But there's five teams that are right in that two or three range. So 
right now I have them. If you ask me today to redo this list, maybe Oklahoma State goes seven and five. I don't know. But but I think that those two teams, after what they did last year, after I, I think the identity that they've built on both sides, I, I think that they deserve to enter the year as the two favorites. Final K-State slash Big 12 question before we end with a little bit more, like three just quick hitter national ones. If, if I was to ask you, what is the one thing K-State has to make sure of to hit that nine game, you know, record that nine win record that you predicted, what would it be? And then the follow up to that is what is the one thing that they would have to do to then catapult them into like a 10 or maybe even a shocking 11 and one season to get to Arlington? Sorry, can you repeat the first question? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I do this horrible thing where I have like a multi-layered question. I ask them both at once. So I'm the absolute no, you're all, worst. I'm the absolute you're, worst. You're all good. You're all good. The boneheads know it and I don't edit anything. So they're going to be listening to this and they're going to hear me <laughs> ask that question. They're going to be like, Scott, you freaking did it again. You idiot. So the, <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll, man, I'm sorry. I, I got the ADHD going. Sometimes no. I get distracted by something. But... No, and, and shout out to you for doing that because I've caught myself doing it before and other people are just like, oh, I'm just going to kind of answer something and move on. And then I'm embarrassed enough to be like, oh, yeah. You did that again, and I just let it go. So the first question, and I'll ask the second one again. What is the number one thing K-State has to make sure they do to hit that nine-game mark that you that you're predicting? Yeah, I think that they have to develop uh, a little bit on the outside on both sides, right? I think that they need to be consistent. Uh, I, we saw, obviously, with the, with some of the playmakers that they had at receiver last year that there were options there. But I think that they need to develop a, a deep passing game as well with Adrian Martinez in there. I think that that gives them a little bit more upside uh, than maybe the consistent solve that they've gotten with a lot of swing passes and things like that to the tight ends and to, of course, Deuce Vaughn. Uh, and, and I think that defensively, yeah, I mean, just continue to develop in the secondary, even though this is uh, more of a running league than it's ever been. I think that that's where the games will really be won and lost especially against some of these better opponents. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic that that can happen. And then the, the second part is what is something that they need to do to even take it to that next level to, you know, halfway through the season, folks are saying, oh, hey, we, we think that they will be the team in Arlington and hell. I mean, again, if they don't, if they don't stub their toe versus Iowa State, you might even get, you know, Chris the Bear Felica running his mouth saying we might be in the playoff. You know, that would be the kiss of death. If that happens, I'm just turning the TV <laughs> off. But what is something like maybe through five games, people will be saying, oh, wow, they look like they could be the Big 12 champions. I think if they're able to make it through their first five games, and uh, and you mentioned it, right? South Dakota, Missouri, Tulane, at Oklahoma will be the tough one, and then Texas Tech. I think that it'll test a lot of different parts of their team, but I think the biggest thing that would stand apart is if Adrian Martinez is under control. If Adrian Martinez is a guy who has, through five games, if he has eight touchdowns and one interception, I think that you have to feel really, really good about where this team is at because – Look, he has talent. There's no doubting it, right? I mean, there's a reason that, uh, that after one year, people were talking about him as maybe a future star in college football. He has been put around so little structure over the years that I think that it makes his job a lot harder. Uh, and, and I think that he's going to get that structure now at Kansas State. He's never played with a player, much less a running back, as good as Deuce Vaughn. I, I think that he has enough guys outside that you have to feel pretty good about what they've got coming back. Um, and, and I think that the offensive line should be a, a solid unit for them as well. So 
if he's able to stay consistent to himself, if he's able to make good decisions and, and some of that's going to be a number, some of that's just going to be, you know, just watching him. Uh, I think that that Kansas state really has a chance if Adrian Martinez by the end of those first five games is looking like a quarterback who in, in a league that I think is going to have some inconsistent quarterback play is potentially somebody who's maybe competing for one of those all big 12 spots. I love it. All right. So before we end with a couple college football just some more national fun on brand questions. I want to remind the boneheads we're going live 7 PM on color cast on Wednesday. So the day you're listening to this hop in there, we're going to talk K state football. Hopefully, you know, again, I'm recording this a handful of days before we do it. Hopefully some more recruiting wins. We'll talk big 12 as a whole. And heck, maybe once we start, everyone can insistently start tweeting at a certain new friend of the show with a blue check. And maybe we can get him to join one of these shows on a random Wednesday night. All right, let's get into it. My first question for the national one is I love the Army-Navy game. It's my bucket list uh, college football game. I only have one bucket list because I'm a K-State fan. I want to go to a K-State game every week, but the Army-Navy game is on my list. Uh, They just announced the next five games. What do you think is the best city and stadium to host the Army-Navy game in? I I really like Philly. I mean, Philly just kind of has, you know, it's right in the middle of everything, right? Like, I mean, the thing with like a Boston or something like that is it's so far up the coast, right? Like it's kind of isolated a little bit from everything. I think that Philly, you've got the Liberty Bell angle, you've got the fireworks angle. I think that it's just, it's right in the middle of everything. It's very accessible coming from New York or DC. I I think that Philly tends to be a great place to have it and they'll have it uh, twice there in the next six years. Yes, and I I agree with you. I think if I'm going to go, I've circled the next two times it's in Philly. But my question to you is if it was ever to get out of the Northeast, I'm not saying it should, but if it ever were to get out of the Northeast, where should it play? And I think if my research is correct, the only time it's ever gotten out of there was they played in the Rose Bowl, I think, a time or two out in Los Angeles. But if it was going to move, you were the czar of the Army-Navy game. Where would you have them play? That's a great question. Uh, so, I mean, the Rose Bowl is an obvious one, right? Like, I think that that's the great venue in all the college football, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we need to extend much on it. Uh, hmm, that's a good question. So, I think, uh, okay, well, this is this is if I'm czar and I'm doing this for me and really nobody else. Uh, I would love to see it at the Sun Bowl in El Paso. There's a there's a fort out there. I can't remember the name of the fort right now, but, but there's a big army base out there. So it's like a huge army center. A lot of people have been in the army have been through El Paso. And if you haven't seen it before, look it up. It's like right in the middle of the mountains. Like the stadium's as cool as a, a stadium as I think I've ever seen ever. And so if I were to pick one, I, I think that El Paso would be a great place to have it. Maybe, uh, you know, getting the cadets out there might not be quite as fun as actually having the game there, but, uh, but I think that would be fun. Uh, and I think that another one that would come to mind would be like Chicago. I, I mean, I think that Soldier Field obviously would be a great venue to have the Army-Navy game. Uh, historic, historic venue, historic, historic city. Uh, good luck uh, dealing with Chicago winters, to be fair. But, uh, but I think that it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I love that. I think they're wrapping up a two-year series playing Army and Air Force in Arlington uh, in AT&T yep. Stadium. I, right I like down the Air road Force. from me. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Air Force and, and other academies playing those home and home, but there's something about that split, sold out, just, you know, the cadets on one side yeah. and the, the midshipmen on the other. There's just, it, it cannot be beat. It's the perfect <laughs> end to the college football regular season. Um, yes. lots and of uh, co- it's oh. it's Fort Bliss, by the way, in Fort El Paso. Bliss. Somebody's going to be listening and and mad at me that I forgot. 
Well, I'll say this. I think it's in either 2020. I think it's 2024. Army is coming to K-State just up the road in Junction City, Fort Riley, Kansas, home of wow. the Big Red One. So I, that is going to be one. Again, I don't know how often you get, uh, get to go to games in person, but to anyone who is you know, an Army brat, Army histor- historian knows the significance of Big Red One in Fort Riley, the you know, uh, Army coming to K-State just up the road, that's going to be a game that everyone should try to get to here in a couple of years. Um, lots, lots of conference realignment is happening. We touched on it a little bit. I'll try to answer the, or ask this two-part question a little bit better. Of every of all the realignment moves from, let's say, like from 2010 on, so you know, keep Penn State out of this. From 2010 on, what school has made the best move with realignment, and what school has made the worst move in realignment? I think the best move has to be Texas A&M. Uh, obviously, they joined the SEC and. In so many ways, it's just able to be a fresh start for them because uh, for all of recorded history, for all intents and purposes, they've been Texas a little brother. Uh, you know, I, I don't like using the phrase, but I think that it's the only way to describe it. And that gave them an opportunity to have a unique brand. It, ha- it gave them the opportunity to have uh, a uniqueness in the signature league of college football. And um, and I don't think that uh, that Johnny Manziel hits like Johnny Manziel if he's playing in the Big 12. I don't think Jimbo Fisher comes if they're not doing what they're doing. Um, We'll see if it pays off in terms of being nationally relevant, but at the same time, I mean, to be in the conversations that they're in, like people knock them for not being Alabama or Georgia and kind of reaching that top level success. But for people who remember them in the big 12, like they were a seven and five team, they were an eight and four team. They were just a team. Right. And so for them to go uh, to the point where everybody's complaining that they're not finishing top 10, I mean, I think that's a pretty good indicator of, of what's up with them. So th- there are two others. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I guess, I guess my, all my answers are going to be big 12 centric, but um, I think that obviously Nebraska it's been real tough for them. I think that it seemed like such a perfect move at the time, but they've really kind of lost, I think, a lot of those inroads that made them great. You know, going down and playing Oklahoma, going down and playing Texas, uh, you know, I think I think it just kind of gets rid of a little bit of their pipeline, right? And part of that, I think, has to just do with population shift. Part of that has to do with uh, all of a sudden, you know, you have to take full qualifiers instead of partial qualifiers. And, and part of it is also that you have the rise of North Dakota State and programs like that in the Great Plains where they'd rather go there than walk onto your program. But, um, you know, I think that the Big Ten has been a tough situation for them. You feel like it's set up really well for them, and it just hasn't. And the other program that I kind of go along with that as well is Colorado. I, I think Colorado, Colorado joined the league that historically doesn't care about football all that much, and it's kind of okay with letting – USC and Oregon and Washington handle that. I, I think that the urgency provided by being in the Big 12 forced them to invest, right? Like, because otherwise you you fall behind and you become Kansas, right? If you don't invest in this league. Uh, I, I think that in the Pac-12, it's okay to just not care. And that I think is changing with George Klyavkov coming in at, at commissioner, but they really, I think, are missing some urgency. I mean, it, Obviously, they ended up in a tough position losing Mel Tucker to, to Michigan State after just one year, but Carl Durrell is a very uninspired choice. Uh, no, no shade to him, but it's just, you know, if you're making a hire, I don't think that that's a power five hire at this point. Uh, and I don't know necessarily what's going to change. We, we've seen a mass exodus of good players from Colorado. 
I, I just don't know what their plans are long-term as an athletic department. And, uh, and I think that the move is a big part of that. One, one theory I want to run past you. I, I have a conspiracy theory because you, you brought up Texas A&M. They're about to be sharing a, a league with Texas. And again, anyone who talks, they say 2025. So the, the most amount of time. I have a theory that if A&M didn't get, you know, a little bit up in their feels, I think they leaked it to the media early hoping to force something so they wouldn't join. And if they did, if they, if they were on board with Texas coming, we still would at this moment would not know that Texas and Oklahoma were vying to go to the sec. Do I have a tinfoil hat on or am I correct? I mean, I think that uh, I think that there's a lot of truth and I think that there's a lot of uh, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to, to believe what you're saying. Cause I mean, obviously we have it leaked out through a Texas A&M reporter. That doesn't mean it was from Texas A&M, but it, it's an indicator, right? It's something that you have to think about. And I think that there's this assumption that, like you said, that Texas and Oklahoma were right around the corner about to announce their moves. And, uh, and, and if only Texas A&M kind of let it out a month early, right? No, I, I think that you're right. I think at this point, we could still be going into negotiations. I think Texas and Oklahoma might not have announced anything. Uh, I do think that in some ways, it was a last ditch effort to try to derail things. But Obviously, it didn't work out that way. I think it probably worked out long-term better in some ways for the Big 12 to be able to plan. But I, I definitely think that there's some legitimacy to the idea that Texas A&M was trying to sabotage it uh, at the last minute. And uh, and again, that's, that's speculation, but it's kind of reading tea leaves as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to watch yourself. I don't have to. I, I think that <laughs> I think it would still be under you know, lip and key. I, you know, I think ESPN was trying to kill off the big 12. So they didn't have to keep paying us. I have a lot of conspiracy theories, but I won't keep saying them while you're on here. You're a respected journalist. I'm just a fan with a podcast. The, the follow-up to that is uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of realignment that was spurred on from that move. And it, I mean, it, I mean, we've seen the death of, Oh man, what, what's the, what's the conference that everyone was leaving for the A-10 um, or the, the uh, AAC. Uh, the conference, conference USA, yeah, conference USA. So, so we yeah. see Texas and Oklahoma leaving, and basically kills off conference USA. It's it's a trickle effect. So, if you had to, if if I get you on the podcast here in ten years from now, I'm going to revive it and, and call you up and say, hey, come back on. Who would you anticipate being the biggest winner from this most recent round of realignment, and who will be the biggest loser? It's a good question. Um, I think that the biggest loser is pretty easy for me. I think it's just the lower tier SEC teams, right? Like being South Carolina or Mississippi State is about to really suck <laughs> because, you know, you're heading into a league, you know, great, it's cool. You get a payout, you get to be part of the greatest league ever, and you also get to never be relevant in it, right? I mean, that that has to be brutal, right? I, I think at a certain point, you know, I... I Teams are going to invest. I think that Shane Beamer is a great coach. I think Mississippi State really cares about football. I think Missouri, you know, Eli Drinkwitz, what he's doing over there. I think it's exciting. But if, if you just end up in a position where you have six games on your schedule that you could probably never, ever win, I don't know. I, I don't know how much money you'd have to take before it just doesn't become worth it. You know, one, one thing that I've said uh, and that I said back when this was all happening is like, if you look at the future of the Big 12, Look, this this league, this new league, probably never going to win a national championship. But if you look at the eight teams that are left, they probably weren't going to win a national championship anyway. So at what point is it actually better to join 
you know, if you're Texas Tech, to join the Pac-12 so that maybe USC can win and you can say that you're part of a good league, even though you're playing people on a terrible time frame for yourself, right? I, I think at a certain point, it doesn't matter. And I think it's the same with South Carolina and with Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Missouri uh, and Kentucky as, as well. I think you have to throw into that. It's like, at what point is this not even worth it to cash these giant checks, right? It's like, at least Kentucky can use the giant checks to pay for basketball and Vanderbilt for baseball to some extent, but what's Missouri doing with that money, right? What's the point? Well, I, I think that at a certain point, some people are going to have to ask themselves some existential questions about what's the point of what they're doing. And so for them, I think that they're, they're going to be the biggest losers. The biggest winners, it's going to depend, I think, uh, on, on some stuff that happens. Uh, I know, hot take. I think that uh, I think that Houston, though, has a chance to really, really elevate itself if the Big 12 is able to kind of keep its power designation, because, uh, you know, you talk to people over at Houston, they're real high and mighty about the idea that if they got into the Big 12, we would be Baylor, we would be TCU, we would be whatever else. And it's somewhat uh, talking smack, but it, there's a little bit of truth to it, right? I mean, Houston is a city school based right in the middle of Houston, one of the biggest hotbeds of recruiting in all of college football. They've recruited at a power five level for a decade at this point. They've had uh, New Year six type success, BCS type success. Uh, and I think that when they go to the big 12, there's a lot of reasons to believe that they can continue to grow on it. Now it's a much tougher league. They're going to have to play the Kansas States and the Baylors and the TCUs. But I do think that they have a chance to really elevate themselves. And, and one thing that I also think is important, too, um, you know, I talked about this on another podcast a few weeks ago, is when you look at realignment, I think you also need to think about what schools have really solid institutional goals to go along with the sports movement. Right. So. Uh, you know, I, I've known programs that moved up to Division One because they felt like they were supposed to and it didn't really work out for them. Um, whereas I would point to, uh, for example, I mean, I think University of Houston wants to continue to grow as an institution and become more than a commuter school, which is what it's kind of been historically. UCF, same deal, right? And so I think that the schools that really have a strong idea of how they want the move to the Power Five to impact their school are going to have a chance to be really big winners. I, I love the way you answered that question. And, and I just, I, I want to get on my little soapbox before I ask the final question and move on. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, and I think that's kind of why I have the hot take of the playoff has done more to hurt college football than, uh, you know, help it because the conversations of winning your conference title or having a 10 win season have completely gone out the window for the national football conversation, which I understand playoff, draws ratings, all that type of stuff. But when K-State won the Big 12 title in 2012, it came on the back of being devastated by Baylor, uh, not getting our sh chance to just stomp a hole in Notre Dame like we would have. You're welcome, Nick Saban. Uh, but we still celebrate that Big 12 title. We still celebrate that 2003 Big 12 title, you know, like it was yesterday. And I truly believe that K-State fans, the next time we get it, we are going to celebrate it just as much as, we would backdooring into a playoff going 11 and one, but not winning the conference. I, I, I just hope that uh, after the conference realignment moves I, and even when the playoff expands, I hope that college football fans remember what made this sport the best thing in the world. It's Farmageddon. It's the Floyd of Rosedale trophy. It's all these wacky spurs and stuff that, you know, teams down Texas play for. And I, I hope that doesn't get lost on college football fans when it does expand. The final question, this is the most on brand for us. What is the what school has the greatest 
football uniforms in college football? Man, that's such a tough question. So we'll, we'll have to ask you first. I, I'm still thinking, but are you a classic guy or are you a new school guy? So I, I like the mix of it. So I, I think that the schools that do it best, um, so Notre Dame has that classic thing to it, but every year they do the Shamrock Collection. Sometimes they slap, sometimes they do the Yankee Stadium one that doesn't. Uh, you know, I, I like Oklahoma. They have the classic, but then they have the Rough Rider uniforms. Uh, LSU, they sometimes, they have the all whites. Clemson does the all purple. So I like the classic with an alternate, but I also, again, I I'm 30 years old. I grew up, you know, with Oregon going, doing something wild every single week. I like some of what Oklahoma state does. I don't like the Paisley pattern they have around the neck. Um, I hell up the road. I think KU has had some decent alternate uniforms. Their base ones from Adidas are horrible. And I love K state's regular uniforms, but damn it. We wore the all white in that bowl game versus Navy. And it was the best thing I've ever seen K state wear. I'm wearing the script cats logo hat. We wore, had that decal once. I thought it slapped super hard. So I'm all over the place. I have, yeah. there's never a uniform where I have a mild take. I'm either all in or I think it's, it's bad. So that's the type of uniform <laughs> connoisseur I am. <laughs> well, okay. I have to tell you. So I was, uh, so I went to Baylor. I was there 12 to 16. Um, and so oh, back in no, 20. 20- so you were there. Were you in the stadium at that, that- game? That was the one game that year I missed. Uh, why did you <laughs> I was go? Like, I wish uh, you would have gone. Maybe, maybe <laughs> things would have gone differently. Oh my gosh. I, also, I was just like, uh, it was, it was the week before Thanksgiving week. And I was like, well, we're going to, we're going to get our butts beaten. Like, I'm just going to go home early for Thanksgiving. <laughs> move, move on or I'm ending the show. <laughs> I don't need to take it. My heart, my heart can't take I'm this. I'm sorry. Right I'm now. sorry. But, but anyway, I was actually going to talk about 2014 um, when obviously there were three teams at the top of the big 12. There was a TCU, there was Kansas state and there was Baylor. Right. And so all that to say purple is my favorite color. And that was a tough time for purple to be my favorite color while being a student at Baylor university. So I, I do love the LSU jerseys. I think that they have such a cool helmet. I think that they have such cool accents. You know, purple and gold doesn't work for everybody, but when you get it right, which I think that LSU gets it right, and, and I love the way they change it up. I love how they have different sort of tones with it. I, I'm more a fan of the yellow helmets than the whites, but I think that LSU has just like a classic college football uniform. I'm a big fan of theirs. Yeah, and, and to the point, you know, they'll drop the purple jerseys for like the one home game a year. And totally. They sometimes have the alternate whites and the white helmet. They'll do a throwback. I think LSU does it perfectly, and I agree with you. I like the purple, and it's more of a yellow than a gold. You know, Washington yeah. State does the purple and gold. I don't think that slaps nearly as hard as the purple and yellow down LSU. So that's a great answer. And, you know, that's all the questions I had. I think originally on the email I said, oh, it's only going to take a half hour, but I enjoyed talking with you so much. Uh, let all the boneheads and K-State fans uh, listening know where they can find you on social media. If you want to plug your podcast, go ahead. Any special projects you have com- coming up with CBS, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Shahan Jayaraja. That's S-H-E-H-A-N-J-E-Y-A-R-A-J-A-H. Uh, you can read all my stuff at cbssports.com. We do actually have a project going up next week, kind of on the future of college football that I'm working on with uh, Dennis Dodd, fellow uh, fellow Kansan, I believe. And uh, in case the fans don't really like Dennis. Oh, uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'll be your advocate. Don't you worry about oh, yeah. that. <laughs> no, I, I actually, the former co-host of the show, shout out to Grant, still one of the great friend, friends. Him and Dennis had like a pretty big Twitter feud for a while. 
Uh, Grant also gets kicked off of Twitter and he like he's been banned quite a few times because he takes Twitter a little bit too seriously. Uh, so maybe that set, maybe that shows that Dennis is probably right. Uh, you know, I won't say that to Grant, but you know, I, I, D- Dennis has, has had a few fights with K-State fans on Twitter. Well, well, then scratch that. I'm doing it all by myself. I'm carrying the load. But uh, you can also listen to, to my show, The College Football Survivor Show with Doug Maurice. We basically go in and, and we're a very playoff focused show. We actually almost treat it like Survivor. We have up to 12 teams every single week that are able to be in it. We vote teams on. We bring uh, we bring them off. It's it's a great time. Uh, and we go year round. And it's it's not just the same sort of like talking about Bama all year long. Like we really like to get into the weeds with it. Uh, and last year was a perfect year to start it with, uh, with of course, Cincinnati and Michigan getting into the mix too. So make sure and follow us there as well. Yes. And, and despite my uh, rants against the playoff, I think you guys do it right. You do it from a fun angle. I have fun listening to it. Uh, so everyone, make sure you're following that. Follow everything that's going on at CBS Sports, even if Dennis Dodd has his hand in the cookie jar a little bit there. That's all we have. Boneheads, we love you guys. We're ramping up for July. I, I am finally feeling confident enough to tell you guys we're doing a show every single day. We're going to start with our Behind the Enemies uh, line series, talking to our opponents. And again, who knows? Maybe we're going to have to get our favorite college football blue check on again later this season. Thanks again for coming on, Boneheads. We're going live on Wednesday, and we love you guys. We'll be talking to you soon. Now if I could find how to stop recording. Why? Oh, there it is. Wow. Hail to the purple. Hail to the white. Wildcat in spirit. Wildcat in fight. Hail alma mater from sea to sea. K-State Wildcats for alma mater fights. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors, we will ever be a fighting, ever fighting for a Wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. You K-State Wildcats for alma mater fight, fight, fight.
Social Podcast Network.